At the beginning of this year, I introduced a concept, an idea that the scriptures reveal that um, we're supposed to be developing. And, and the scriptures teach us that we are here to be developed and we're here to develop others. And if you remember, I said that means that you're supposed to put yourself in a position to be developed. By whether it's other women developing you or other men developing you or a small group, a mini church, someplace where you can develop in the word and develop in your life and develop in your emotional life and develop in your relational life and develop in parenting and develop. You're supposed to be able to develop. It's one of the promises of scripture. But you're also supposed to be able to be in a place where you develop others and sometimes the two link together. The more you work on developing yourself is when you're more equipped and actually motivated by even developing others and working on others. It's when that system breaks down and the church stops doing that, that they stop doing the command of Christ, which is what? Make disciples. Um, you know, I, th- I was thinking about that this week and I thought, you know, I've got to say that a little differently. Let me back up. Let me just put it this way. Do you really believe you can get better? You can get better. Oh, I'm not saying you'll always be healed or you'll always be successful. No, no, no. But the Bible clearly teaches. This is a biblical theme. This is a biblical concept. You can get better. In fact, the Bible tells us we're going to get so much better that by the time you get to glory, you're going to be what? Perfect. He's going to make you perfect. He didn't make you to be disabled or dysfunctional or not working. He made you to get better. So no matter what your situation you're in, physically, emotionally, spiritually, whatever, do you know the promise of Scripture is you can get better? Like I said, I'm not promising you healing or anything, but that God sometimes does heal, but He heals us emotionally, spiritually, helps us grow. We're supposed to get better today. As you probably got from the, the women's conference, and I'm going to have two women's leaders come out here and speak to you later. We're talking about women. We've talked about how you need, we need to help children get better. We can develop them. We talked about how we can help teens get better. We can develop them. We talked about how we can help men get better. We had the men's leader out here, Eric Rebstock, preaching to us about how men can get better. Well, this weekend we're talking about how women can get better. And I'd like to pray with you about that. All the men, all the women, all the kids that are here, would you bow with me in prayer? Lord, your word teaches us very clearly that we're even supposed to count it all joy when you count various trials. Why? Because we can get better through trials. We can get better through hardships and difficulties. Sometimes that's your refining fire that really helps us grow. So I pray for those that are here that are doubting that in their life. They keep repeating same habits. They keep falling into the same pitfalls. They keep saying the same things that they would be able to run away, turn away from the lies told to them by their own conscience, by the devil himself, that they'd be able to hold to the biblical truth. I can get better. That's God's plan for me. And I pray that today, Lord, as we talk about women's ministry and in our church, what we're trying to do to help women develop, that we'll see that's one of the major things women are so good at, helping people get better. And I pray you'll you'll teach us that now. Help us understand the truth for our life, each one of us, and then how we can pass it on to somebody else. In Jesus' name, amen. I want to start out talking about a gal in our church who just passed away a couple weeks ago. Her name was Barb Rossler. Barb used to be one of the major leaders in our women's ministry here at church. Barb grew up in Columbus, Ohio. In fact, let's put her picture on the screen. There she is. Barb and Steve, Steve Rossler. Um, Steve has just recently moved to Ohio. They were in a very difficult place. She was suffering and, and really quite sick, and then he got cancer. He's actually in Ohio right now getting a bone marrow transplant, and his wife passed away. Well, they've been in a tough situation, but Barb grew up in, in Columbus, Ohio. I uh, went to uh, Ohio State. He was a big Ohio State fan. And um, it, 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 in Columbus, at University of Ohio, Ohio State, she actually earned two PhDs. you know how hard it is to get one PhD? This girl got two, so she was quite intelligent, quite smart. Went into business, got married. Um, her marriage didn't last all that long, never had children, and, and uh, she got divorced. Then later she met Steve. Steve and her started coming to Fellowship Alliance. She became a believer. 
And it was interesting talking with Barb because she was quite articulate, knew a lot of things, and could share a lot from her experiences. Her and Steve started their own company, and it seemed to be going quite well, and they were doing quite well. But she felt a lot of regret about her past life. In what way, Barb, did you feel regret, I'd ask? And she'd say, well, I was like really into them the National Organization of Women and Women's Rights. And, it, you know, I, I really bought that hook, line, and sinker, which is why, you know, I, I wasn't concentrated on having a family or doing all the things a normal woman would do. I was a professional woman, and I was going to show the world what I could do. She says, I have a lot of regret that I didn't do that. I realize now that I misunderstood women, even myself. In what way, I was asking her, and she said, well, women are basically nurturers. That's what she came to understand, that God has designed us, and that women have those great abilities, and that women are put even in society to bring nurture to it. This is God's plan. This is God's design, that women have this skill, this ability that really far exceeds what men can bring. In fact, when we read the Genesis account, which I'm going to do with you in just a minute, you'll see that. So I put down is the big idea in your sermon here today, women nurture life. I agreed with her on that. That's really true. I'd like to show you how that unfolds in Scripture. So if you have your Bibles, turn with me to the book of Genesis. In Genesis chapter 2, we see the creation account. If you remember, in Genesis 1, the way the Hebrew literature writes, he, write, he tells the whole story of creation. Then he goes back in chapter 2 and tells basically about men and women and how they're created and why. I don't know if you've ever taken a close look at it, but look how it reads, starting with verse, let's start it up at verse 18. It reads like this. Then the Lord God said, it's not good that man should be alone. In other words, he created man, but there was no woman yet. I will make him a helper fit for him. Now out of the ground, the Lord God had formed every beast of the field and every bird of the heavens and, and brought them to the man to see what he would call them. And whatever the man called every living creature, that was its name. The man gave names to all the livestock and to the birds of the heavens and to every beast of the field. But for Adam, there was not found a helper for him, a helper fit for him. So the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man, and while he slept, took one of his ribs and closed up its place with flesh. And the rib that the Lord God had taken from the man, he made into a woman and brought her to the man. Isn't it interesting how God's doing this? A lot to be taught there. We don't have time to get into everything. But Then the man said, This at last is bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman. Because she was taken out of man. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. And the man and his wife were both naked and were not ashamed. I, I don't have time to get into this. I'm, when I read this, there's so many things from studying it before that come to my mind. I'd love to teach it, but I don't have time. So let's just hit the highlights of what I'm trying to point out here today. The first thing is this. Did you notice here where it says, Then the Lord God said, It is not good. Now, I studied Hebrew for a few years in my life, and this is written in Old Testament Hebrew. And you need to understand, when this passage says it's not good, I, I always don't, I, I, I don't like the way they translate it because it should be more emphasized because it's a double negative, which is not that common in the Hebrew language. A double negative. So when it says, here's Adam, and it's not good, the Bible's clearly saying, it's terrible. It's horrible. This guy's in big problem, in a big problem here. It's not good that man should be alone. Double negative. And uh, I don't know about you guys, but I feel that way in my life for sure. But it's not good. Man doesn't function well without a woman is what it's trying to say. It goes on to say this. What he needs then is what? God says well, what he needs is a helper fit for him. It says that twice. Also in verse 20, a, a helper fit for him. Well, sometimes this word helper is misunderstood. Here's what I mean. The word helper in the Old Testament, in Hebrew, is 21 times. What's interesting is uh, 15 of the 21 times it's referring to God as the helper. So it's not a, a demeaning term to say, well, he's gonna, she's going to be his helper. And in fact, I thought I'd quote to you today from uh, Dr. Claire Smith. She's a theologian and a scholar, and she wrote a book about this very thing. And in this one chapter, she gave just a highlight. I just thought I had to read her words to you because I thought she said so much better than I could. But she says this. 
about the idea of helper. She says, unless you've been living in a cultural bubble for decades, you will feel the jarring strangeness and even offense of God's word at this point, especially if you're a woman. It is completely contrary to the feminist values that rule Western cultures and to our our sinful nature that wants always to be number one, and it runs in the face of our experience of male authority and the abuse of it sometimes. In our post-Genesis 3 world, this means that we are battling on three fronts to see how uh, this divine design of ordered relationships could possibly be a good thing. But God is asking us to put all that aside and to hear his words, to see how good things were before the human race uh, messed up with sin. And the first step to doing that is to realize that the word helper is not a put-down. Let me read to you again what she says. Women, excuse me, woman is not a helper in the, the, the way that a child needs mommy's little helper or a child is mommy's little helper, nor is she a helper in the sense that that men are CEOs who really get things done, and women are just nameless junior office hacks and eye candy, only ever uh, undeserving second-class citizens in God's kingdom. In fact, the Old Testament, in the Old Testament, this word helper is often used of God, like I just told you about. God's people can declare that the Lord is our helper and our shield, Psalm 33. Or that the Lord is on my side as my helper, Psalm 118, just to give you a couple references. God's not above being a helper to mankind. And when he helps, he takes on a supportive and, and serving role to those he is helping without ever ceasing to be the sovereign Lord who provides everything for everyone. He provides what is lacking so that the one who, is, who, who he is helping can complete their task. What we discover when we look at the Old Testament use of the word helper is not a term of value or worth. It's a type of relationship. Maybe it's because of the the bias of our culture, but we often tend to misread this idea of helper and misunderstand that what a woman is, is this helper fit for man. Uh, In theological terms, they call this complementarianism. In other words, the man gets better and the woman gets better when he's the leader and she's the helper and they serve together. It's a beautiful picture when you read the whole thing. We're going to even look later at a passage in Ephesians which talks about this dynamic. Well, she lays this out. I mean, excuse me. As God lays this out in Scripture, he says some other things. Move on. Let's look what it says next. As we read on in here, we see very clearly that the man was asleep and the the woman was made out of the rib taken out of the man. In other words, God did this. He didn't need man to help him at all. Sometimes in our culture, women are submissive. We're taught, even in our colleges and stuff, because of man's oppression. It's not what the Bible teaches. The Bible teaches, no, this is by God's design. This is not because man oppressed women. Yes, there's a lot of oppression of women around the world. I'm not going to deny that for a second. But that's not why women are submissive. It's because God made a design here for that. He goes on to explain in Genesis how God brought man, this woman. And look what it says in verse 23. Then the man said, this at last is bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh. The words, this at last, should, could read or probably should read, wow. Seriously, that's what the Hebrew says. Wow, this at last, just what I wanted, kind of a thing like a kid opening a present at Christmas time. Like, oh my goodness, believe me now, guys, and everybody here, that's not just sexual. I mean, we're in this sex-saturated society. We probably think of that. He goes like, whoa, look at that chick. No, no that's, that's, that's true. But he had this need, and this girl, this woman, this Eve met his need. It's the fit helper he needed. And I'm saying to you, it's because she had that nurturing ability, that comforting, encouraging, building up ability to help someone believe. You know, you could get better. And isn't it true? Even, even when, you know, like we just watched the Super Bowl and they interview these players, and oftentimes, who do they refer to? Their mom. Because it was their mom that helped them believe they could get better. They could keep in there. They could keep doing it. I mean, I can point back in my life when I was doing so bad in school and nobody believed in me. But my mom did. At least my mom thought I could get better. 
Maybe you could say the same. I'm telling you, it's a design gift that women have. They're nurturers of life. That's what they do. Well, you know, we could look at lots of illustrations of this. Um, but one I found was this. Just to kind of show you, there, there's, there's a lot of evidence of this in what women have as their gifts and abilities, and we're going to get into that next. But before we do, let me just share with you a Harvard study. Harvard did a study, Harvard College, actually Harvard Medical School, on toddlers. You know, kids three, two, one years old, just little kids when they're just learning to talk. And their discovery, probably to nobody's surprise here, is that girls talk more than twice as much as boys. <laughs> Big surprise, right? Girls talk twice, and you know what? They have understandable words. Here's the interesting thing. Boys talk about half as much as girls, but only 60% of their words are understandable. <laughs> yeah. The other 40% of the little boy's language is, you know, toot toot, that kind of thing. They're making sounds, but they're not words, you know? Isn't that interesting? I'm saying this is just one example. Oh, oh. Then they, I read further in their study and they said, oh, and then we studied adult women and adult men. We found out adult women, one study said adult women speak 25,000 words a day. The other study said women only speak 20,000 words, but a lot. And one study said the men speak 10,000. The other one said, no, they only speak seven, you know. And probably some guys in this room probably speak four or five or three or two, you know. <laughs> In other words, this is a design. It's a designed difference. I hate it when people try and tell me men and women are the same. No, they're not. They're different by design. And God's not an idiot. He had a purpose. And he knows that women can nurture life. They're going to need more verbal skills to do that. And they have it by his design. And you can tell it even with toddlers or you can tell it with adults. I thought that was interesting. Look at the second point. It talks about this idea of abilities. I, I'm saying women nurture life by their abilities. In the book of Titus, Paul refers to this. Turn with me to Titus chapter 2, a major chapter if we're going to study about women in the Bible. And, and let's just take an excerpt from this, verses 3 through 5. Older women, likewise, are to be reverent in behavior, not slanderers or slaves to much wine. They are to teach what is good, and so train the young women to love their husbands and children, to be self-controlled, pure, working at home, kind, and submissive to their own husbands, that the word of God may not be reviled. Again, there's so much there to teach, just in those few verses. And Paul seems to be giving us a picture of a woman who's not doing so well and a picture of a woman that is doing well. And he's trying to give us a picture here when he says reverent. The word reverent uh, literally means to rank yourself under to show respect to somebody. For example, let's say Julia Roberts walked right on stage. The famous actress Julia Roberts came out. What would we do? I'd say, Miss Roberts, Mrs. Roberts, can I get you some coffee? Would you like something? You know, we'd be humbling below her. That's what it means to show reverence. It means to revere somebody. Or Billy Graham. Let's say Billy Graham. He has no authority over me, but I revere him, so I'd show respect. Now, interestingly enough, it does say here that the woman's supposed to show respect. And then later, it even tells her to submit. Listen to that, women. Listen to that. God's telling you the key to your authority. And we're going to get back to that in just a minute. But it's the key to the authority a woman has. Not by their position so much, but by their behavior, their abilities. Look what he goes on to say. Notice what it says here. They're not supposed to be a slanderer. Here he defines kind of a girl that's not doing too good. Um, she's supposed to not be a slanderer. And the best definition I ever heard of slander is this. Ready? It's telling the truth about somebody with the intent to hurt them. And you're, well, I'm not lying. Yeah, I know, but your, your intents aren't so good, you know? That's slander. You might be telling the truth, but everybody can tell what you're trying to do is jab them, get them. He's, Paul says here, God says here, don't do that. And here's a girl that's doing that. Why would you think she'd do that? Maybe because she's not doing so well. Her kids aren't doing so great. She wants to point out how other kids aren't doing so great. 
Her marriage isn't so hot, so let's point out somebody else's marriage isn't so hot either. And it'll make yourself feel better. And then he says, not addicted to much wine. Or in this translation, it says, not slave to much wine. Man, now she's even drinking. This this girl's not doing so good. She's slandering other people. She's drinking. She's trying to self-medicate. Now she's in a bad place. So Paul brings this out and he says, no, a woman should do what? On the other hand, they should teach. Use those verbal skills God designed you with to teach what is good. And so train young women to love their husbands and their children and to be self-controlled, pure, working at home, kind. And then he gets to this word submissive where we a lot of us stumble. Well, what does this mean, submissiveness? Well, again, it comes back to that key idea. Please listen to me, especially if you're a woman here. This is your authority. God's telling you, you will get your authority. You get your power. You get the influence in your life by being submissive. How does that work? Just like Jesus taught. Jesus taught all men, all women, one biblical truth. What was it? The greatest among you shall be servant of all. Look at Jesus himself. You know who Jesus was in the Hebrew world? Jesus was just a carpenter. He didn't have a big position. He's a carpenter. He's a blue-collar guy. And you know what else? He was a part-time rabbi, considered an insignificant Hebrew teacher. Because he's just part-time, he's actually a carpenter. He's not even a full-timer. So he was a very insignificant person in his position. But he raised up 12 disciples and literally changed the world. How did he do it? Influence. He said, well, the greatest among you, the one that's going to change the world, is the servant of all. Really? So when the Bible tells us here women should submit to their husbands, it's not telling us they won't have influence. They could be literal world changers. But they're recognizing the influences in their behavior, their attitudes, their nurturing of life, whether it's nurturing a husband or nurturing somebody in the hospital or nurturing somebody else at work or nurturing their own children or nurturing a church. The greatest among us is servant of all. I, I was reading a book the other day. An excerpt from this book was very helpful. Uh, Timothy Keller, who's a pastor of Redeemer Presbyterian Church up in New York City, and his wife, Kathy Keller, wrote this book called The Meaning of Marriage. And in here, Kathy tells a story about submitting to her husband and why it was so difficult and what God taught her through it. Listen to this. In the late 1980s, our family was comfortably situated in a very livable suburb of Philadelphia, where Tim held a full-time position as a professor. Then he got an offer to move to New York City to plant a new church. He was excited by the idea, but I was appalled. We don't want to do that, I thought. Raising our three little boys in Manhattan was unthinkable. Now, girls, why is she thinking that? Because she's a nurturer. I can't nurture my boys too good in Manhattan. It's not going to work, right? So of course she's thinking that. Tim doesn't have a clue. He's not thinking that, right? Not only that, but almost no one who knew anything about Manhattan thought that the project would be successful. Oh, great. We'll go there. My husband will be a failure. I can't. That's not going to nurture him. She's thinking nurturing. I also knew that this would not be something that Tim would be able to do in a nine-to-five job. It would absorb the whole family in nearly all our time. So what's she thinking about? Nurturing the family. So of course she has these thoughts. Listen to this. It was clear to me that Tim wanted to take the call, but I had serious doubts that it was going to be the right choice. I expressed my strong doubts to Tim who responded with these words, Well, if you don't want to go, then we just won't go. However, I replied, Oh, no, 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 you don't. You aren't putting that decision on me. That's advocation. In other words, not taking the lead. You're advocating it to me. If you think this is the right thing to do, then exercise your leadership and make the choice. It's your job to break this logjam between you and me. It's my job to wrestle with God until I, I can joyfully support your call. Wow. That's quite a woman, isn't it? Tim made the decision to come to New York City. I don't know if you've heard about Redeemer Presbyterian, but it's an amazing church. And, and planted Redeemer Presbyterian Church. The whole family, my sons included, consider it one of the most truly manly things my husband ever did. 
because he was quite scared. But he felt a call before God. And at that point, Tim and I were both submitting to the roles that we were not perfectly comfortable with, him leading and me following. But it is clear that God worked in us and through us when we accepted our gender roles as a gift from the designer of our hearts. She's basically saying, you know, I got better. Tim got better as we accepted what God wanted us to be, wanted us to be, and wanted us to go together. Third point, and I got to go quickly because I want to give time for my two gals that are coming out here to speak to you. Turn with me to Ephesians chapter 5. I love this passage. It's talking about marriage and God's creation. And it says this. Let me take this one excerpt out of it. In the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it. Just as Christ does the church. Because we are members of his body. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother. Oh, we heard that before. Remember, this is a quote from Genesis. And hold fast to his wife. And the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is profound. And I'm saying that it refers to Christ and the church. So it's making an analogy here between a husband and wife and and Christ and the church. However, let each one of you love his wife as himself and let the wife see to it that she respect her husband. Just a couple things I want to pull out of this. There's so much here to teach. It tells us here that a man is supposed to love his wife like he would love his own body. So when the guy's hungry, what does he want to do? He wants to eat, so he feeds himself. When the guy's tired, what does he want to do? He wants to lay down and take a rest. He said, well, that's no different. You're now united with this woman. What you should do, just like you love your own body, you should love this woman. You nurture her and care for her because you are in big trouble without her. Just like we saw in Genesis, it's by God's design, double negative, you're, you're in bad shape, buddy, without her. You need her because she nurtures life. <laughs> Probably beginning with your life and then the kid's life and then the world around her because women are gifted at that. That's the whole point. Then he goes on to say uh, things like hold fast to her, which in the old translation means to cleave to her. Don't let her go. And then he calls it a mystery. And he concludes by saying, let each one of you love his wife as himself and let the wife see to it that you respect her husband. I'm going to end with this. It doesn't just say love each other. Notice it says, husbands, you've got to love your wife, which means you've got to be committed, you give it up. Remember, love is like concrete. But it says, women, uh, it doesn't say love your husband. It says respect him. Give him honor. Literally, the word literally means rank yourself under. Whoa. Wow. Unbelievable. But like I said before, that's the key to their power. That's the key to the influence a woman has in society, in their marriage, and everywhere. It's doing that gives them greatest among you shall be servant of law. Amazing, isn't it? It's because they're the nurturers of life. Okay, I got to end. I'm running out of time. I used too much time already. Sorry. I want to end with this story. Um, there's a couple in our church that I saw this working in. Uh, he was a great leader. Milt Shaw, maybe some of you remember Milt. He's gone home to be with the Lord, oh, eight, nine years ago now. He was a retired Marine Corps colonel, big, tall, gray-haired man, very strong, very disciplined, as a Marine Corps colonel would be. And he also became the president of Ocean County College. And in talking with Milt, lots of times Milt would write me letters telling me... keys and tips about leadership. It was gems. These letters were incredibly encouraging and helpful. Milt was such an encouragement to me. But he would often say the key to his leadership was his wife, Nan, Nancy. He says, Nan is a lot tougher than me, a lot stronger than me. (laughs) And he'd brag on her. And what are you talking about? Here's her nurturing ability that he just didn't have as much of. Now, he was a little affectionate toward me. Here's why. His firstborn son was the same age as me. And his firstborn son died in his arms when he was four years old. As he's driving like a fanatic to get him to the hospital and he didn't make it. And he said, you know, I would have never made it through that without Nan. And our whole family and the other kids I had never would have made it without Nan. 
And I couldn't be a Marine Corps colonel and I couldn't be president of the college without Nan. She's the tough one. She's the strong one. And what he's talking about is her ability to nurture life. And so she helped him get better. He helped her get better. That's what marriage is supposed to be. I'd like to invite Carol Batten out right now. Carol's going to teach us some more about how this works in our church with women's ministry. So, Carol, sorry I took about three or four minutes there. I shouldn't have taken. Good to have you here. (laughs) Good morning, church. Thank you. So how do we release this nurturing life in the body of Christ? And that's what I am charged to talk with you about today. The process of development in women's ministry. And so the first thing I want you to know is that at any given time, like right now, there are over 500 women involved in women's ministries at this church. Actually, the last time I counted, it was 551. And there are all kinds of women that are involved in that. Some women don't have children. Some women aren't married. Some women are divorced. Some women are dealing with many difficult things in their lives. And in order to lead a ministry that big, we have tons of leaders that have been developed to move that process forward. And so when I think about a Bible verse that captures all of that, I think about the last verse in in Matthew 7, after Jesus has finished the Sermon on the Mount. And he says, if you want to build a life that lasts, build it on my teachings, build it on the rock. And that's what we want for women. We want them to build their families, their communities, their workplaces. They're serving all on Jesus' teaching. So we have three big goals in women's ministry that Debbie and I, and Debbie's going to come out in a little while, are always thinking about. And the first one is we want to provide environments where women can develop an intimate, authentic, and loving relationship with God which leads women to put themselves under the authority of Scripture, a.k.a. under the teachings of Jesus. And to say that in a very short version, we want to provide environments where women can sit at the feet of Jesus. The second thing we want to do is offer transformational community environments where women can nurture life in one another and in themselves, where women have transformed hearts so that they're able to follow the path. They have the inner freedom to follow the path that God has for them. And we think that best happens in small groups. So to say that in a short version, we want to help women experience transformational community. And then the third goal is we want to support women as they practice godliness by nurturing and developing the gifts that they have been given so that they can serve Jesus. Because we believe the more like Jesus we are, the more like him we'll serve. So those are our three big goals. And Deb's going to come out in a little while and break that down for us, how we do that here. But before we do, I wanted to share a God at Work story with you. And this story is a beautiful illustration of our developmental process here and a lot of the things that Marty talked about just a little while ago. And this God at Work story is found in the Gospels. I want to tell you about Mary of Bethany because she's a beautiful picture of development in Scripture. And she's a beautiful woman. The first time we meet her is in Luke And Jesus is on the road in his public ministry, and he stops to a village called Bethany, where she gets her name. And she's welcomed into the house of Mary, Martha, and Lazarus. They're a family. And this particular day, the two sisters are at odds at what's really most important. And here we find Mary to choose to sit at the feet of Jesus, and Jesus wants her to be there. He actually says she's chosen the best thing, and it will not be taken away from her. So she chooses to put herself in a place of development, and she actually grows, begins to grow this beautiful, intimate, authentic relationship with God, and she desires to be there, and she learns to put herself under his authority. The next time we see Mary in the scripture, it's in John chapter 11, and she, her, she's in a community, and her and her community are in crisis. And doesn't that always happen, Right? You go to the doctor for tennis elbow and you end up with open heart surgery. Or your daughter is having her first baby and you're so excited and you find her at home in a fetal position because she's depressed and you're the one holding her baby. So many stories like that happen in women's lives. And in Mary's story, her brothers died 
and her community gathers around her. And we know from the text that Jesus knows what's happened, and he delays his coming. And we find Mary waiting to see him. And when he finally shows up, she kneels before him and openly shares her grief. And this is a transformational moment. We find the potential for transformation right in this crisis. Where is God hidden in this story? Something tragic has happened, and the community can grieve, trust, and follow Jesus or not. And we see that once again, Mary chooses this time transformation. She kneels and said, if you had been here, my brother wouldn't have died, but I'm going to trust you. Now, for those of us who are familiar with this story, we skip ahead to say, well, Jesus raises her brother from the dead. But I want you to sit in that moment for a minute because something beautiful is happening in the story. See, God himself is sitting with Mary, weeping with her. God himself is comforting her in the story and being with her in her crisis and in her pain. And that's the same promise that we have. God will be with us if we trust him. And so she chooses this beautiful moment of trusting God in community, and it transforms the entire community. And I love that Jesus weeps, that shortest little verse in scripture. Jesus wept. God weeps when we're in pain, and he's with us in it. The next time we meet Mary in scripture, it's one week before Jesus is going to be executed. They've been friends for a while now, and there are many disciples who still don't really understand Jesus' mission or what's going to happen to him. But Mary's been listening. And so at this moment, she shows up in the story with an alabaster jar of expensive perfume, something we really don't understand in our culture. So why did she do that? Well, Jesus tells us. She's performing a good service for me. She has anointed my body for burial. See, Mary shows up believing what Jesus has been telling her. He's going to be executed. He's going to die. She's criticized a little bit by those around her, but that doesn't stop her because she's empowered to serve her Lord. She's empowered to serve Jesus. And so her faith is developed to the point of serving out of her giftedness, and nothing can really stop her from that. And Jesus gives us this little gem about her. He says, truly, I tell you, wherever the gospel is proclaimed in all the world, what she has done will be told in remembrance of her. And that's quite a legacy. And that's what I want for you as women, a legacy of sitting at the feet of Jesus, being transformed because of the community that's helping you do that, relate to God, and serving out of your giftedness. And I'm so thankful that we get that beautiful picture in Scripture. But how do we do that here at FAC? How do we live this life here? And I'm going to call Debbie Schneck out. This is a famous Debbie Schneck. You all know her, right? (laughs) If you don't, Debbie is the one that sends out all those emails that you get. Um, And I couldn't do life here without Debbie. (sighs) Hi, Deb. Hi, Carol. So I want you to know that both Debbie and I are both products of women's ministry. Um, We grew up here. Uh, My faith was developed here. So was Deb's. We were under the leader, the nurturing leadership of Laurie Berglund. And Debbie's been on staff here for 16 years and I've been here 10 years, and um, we've come through all of the different women's ministries here. And so I'm going to ask Debbie some questions. And the first question I'm going to ask is, Deb, so a woman calls, and she says, hey, she emails, calls, texts, all the Facebooks, all the things that happen today in culture, and says, hey, I want to get connected to women's ministry. And so in the back of your mind, you're remembering what we're trying to help women do, right? Absolutely. And so how do you help her get in a place where she needs to be. 
Good question. Well, in all honesty, by the time somebody calls me or texts me or emails, they usually have a little inkling of what they're looking for. They've already heard things and are, have a little idea, and they're looking for some confirmation, some details, just somehow ways that they can get connected. But when someone calls and just says, what's going on in women's ministry? This is what I tell her about. The first thing that I usually talk to her about are awakened Bible studies. These are very near and dear to my heart as a place where women can come and sit at the feet of Jesus. Um, in an awakened Bible study, it was the first place I met Jesus, the first time I learned the desire to read the Bible and study it. And I did it with a small group of women, semester after semester, year after year. It was an amazing time of growing and developing, of learning the truth of God's word and that he could speak to me through the Bible and um, it was just fabulous and I'll always be so grateful for the women who nurtured that God life in me and vested in me and really um, helped grow me up in the Lord. Um, this life then becomes a springboard that catapults a woman into serving and she can serve throughout the church and the community. So um, it all starts when you sit at the feet of Jesus and allow him to work in you. It's a wonderful thing. So, Nick Carroll, you led some awakened Bible class studies, and share about that. Well, I came here and was a, immediately got involved in awakened Bible studies, and I was like a water hitting a sponge for me, and it helped me grow and understand who I was as a woman. And um, sure, I, I was a participant, and then I remember the first time I was asked to lead a group. I was scared to death and then facilitate a class or teach a class. And the transformation that happens in that is that it's no longer about you. It, it now becomes about the people that are in, in your midst and how you can serve them and how you can communicate in a way that they can grow. And so that takes prayer and thinking and listening to people and self-examination. What are you doing this for? And it's really a beautiful process. Beautiful process. Yep. Thank you. And ladies, just to let you know, there is another week open for registration for our next semester of Awaken Bible Studies, so don't miss it. It's, it's worth the, what you put into it. The next thing I think about is hashtag mom life and mentor moms. And these are ministries that bring women together based on their stage of life. They're moms and they want to do a good job raising their children. And in this day and age, just look around, that's a serious challenge. In mom life, moms are hearing God's viewpoint, his perspective on motherhood how much he values what they do, how much he values moms, and that the church does also. This is a unique, life-giving um, experience for moms, and they get to share it with other moms. Um, they're encouraged in this vital role, and they can't find this anywhere else, so it's, it's a wonderful thing for them. There's a mentor mom at each table, a seasoned mom who is there intentionally to encourage the women at her table to give them God's viewpoint on their life, and um, this can bring hope and confidence into a mom's life. She doesn't have to fear the future. Um, my daughter, Laura, has been involved in mom life for many years, and she's now a table leader there. And I see the difference it makes in her life and in the life of her family. Um, Carol, anything you want to add about mom life? Well, yeah, it is a unique environment. So you can go to the library and take your kids to the library to do the reading thing. But this is a place where you come and hear God's perspective on you your family, your motherhood. So it's solidarity around a purpose. And it really is a catalytic experience for growth. It, it really is. It's amazing. It's an amazing, it's an amazing opportunity. And thank you to the mentor moms that are in this audience today for investing in those young moms. Absolutely. And for those of you that can't do our morning mom life groups, we've just are starting an evening group called Mom Life at Night, and they're just getting started, so you might want to check that out. Um, next thing I, might, I would bring up would be our deepening groups. These are transformational community not based on a woman's stage of life. Women of all ages and stages are brought together because they want to deepen their relationship with the Lord, and they want to do this with a group of women, which is why we called it deepening groups in the first place. Powerful things happen in a group when women come together and explore the work God's doing in their lives and share it with each other. Walls are broken down and healing can begin. 
The group members have um, some things they practice every week to um, open up their hearts to the Lord. We call these soul training exercises, and they're very impactful. So you've been in a deepening group, and now you lead a deepening group, Deb. And so over the course of the years that you've participated, what are some of the soul training exercises that have impacted your life even up to this point? Okay. Well, I loved all the soul training exercises. Um, Two in particular come to my mind. One was praying through the 23rd Psalm. When you do that multiple times during the day and throughout the week, it really changes your perspective, and you really um, begin to understand, perhaps for the first time, the generosity and kindness of God. Um, That changes how you view your life. And then the other thing I thought of is um, counting your blessings. And this is a time just to praise God for everything, even the things that we tend to overlook and take for granted. And as you look and examine even those little small details of your life, it builds your trust, feelings of trustworthiness for God, of what he's, that he has your life, all of it. Um, sharing this process in a group of women changes you. It makes you different and it shows. Um, another thing I want to, another transformational community that we have here is Fresh Hope for Single Moms. This is a community that's based on a stage, a particular life experience. And we don't want single moms just to be, um, to weather the storm of single parenting. We want them to thrive and help their children thrive. And as they grow strong in the Lord, they're able to turn around and help develop their children and encourage them and then other single moms as well. And they experience in very tangible ways the truth that God loves them and their church loves them. You all are awesome in the support you give the church for our single moms, and we're very grateful. This changes a mom's life and the trajectory of her family for eternity, um, no matter what her circumstances. And Carol, I know this ministry is very near and dear to your heart. So, And one of the reasons is because I know, usually when you think of single mom's ministry, you think of the mom But usually around that mom is a sister or a mother or a friend who's watching her friend go through this process. Mm. And, you know, it's tough to watch your friend or your sister go through that or your daughter. You know, it's really Mm. tough. So I'm really grateful that that you give to this church so that we can provide a ministry like Fresh Hope for Single Moms. Thank you for being faithful and giving, and your tithes and offerings provide that for them. Yeah, and Fresh Hope meets every month, the last Sunday of pretty much every month, so... And then also on every month, the third Friday evening of of the month, all year round, we host an informal gathering called If Table, and which can be a starting point for a woman looking for a community. Um, It's very informal. Women gather, share a meal, and begin meaningful conversations. It's just like Jesus stopping at Mary's house in Bethany, as Carol was talking to you about. Um, Sit down, share a meal, have a conversation. This is a great place to get started if you've never done anything in women's ministry, if you're feeling a little cautious about that, and it's a great place to bring a friend. So there just so happens to be a if table this coming Friday, the 16th, so you only have to wait five days to get started with a community. Um, And the last but not least is our women's conference. Um, As you saw from the video just a little bit ago, it's a special time set apart for a woman to work to become more intimate with God and to sit at his feet. Give yourself that gift of sitting at his feet. It's totally worth it. Anything you want to add about our conference? Well, we have an awesome speaker this year, so check that out. She's going to be amazing. She's a powerhouse. And um, just to wrap up, I just have to say that each of these ministries is my favorite. I see the potential that they each have to develop a woman and to um, have others nurture God's life in her. And I also love these ministries because they develop leaders. All the women that lead our ministries, and they're amazing women, and I hope a lot of you have gotten to meet them over the years, they started out in these groups and participating, and they grew and developed and couldn't help but share their gifts with the people around them. So um, it's a wonderful place. So Carol, to get back to your original question about what we provide for women to sit at, the, at Jesus' feet, 
to experience transformational community and to develop their God-given gifts. Um, it's really, for me, when I'm listening to a woman, I, it's what it really is. I need to listen to her and just help her discern what God's calling her to be involved in. What's the most important need she has right now in her walk with the Lord? And he's usually speaking to them already, whispering it, and I can help help confirm that in her heart. Women start in any one of these ministries, and then they go on usually to serve anywhere in our church. We have women that serve in women's ministries, women serve in children's ministries, women serving in support ministries, anywhere, so many places throughout our church and the community around them, wherever God brings people that they can invest in and and nurture and develop. So, so. And you know that God at Work story that Marty ended with about Nancy and Milt Shaw? That is Debbie's parents, in case you didn't know that. I thought that would be important to share. Um, So listen, we provide tons of environments for women to get connected and to grow and to develop. So here's the thing that we did. We provided environments, all kinds. But here's the thing that we can't do. We can't show up for you. We can't do it for you. You have to have the desire to come and be part of that. And so sometimes we don't even have the desire, but I have a secret to tell you about God. You can ask him for that. You can say, God, would you give me the desire to really plug into you, to love you? And he will do that, and he won't overwhelm you. He's so good. And you can ask him for that desire to get involved, to come under his teachings, to be developed, to be liberated to serve, which is an ultimate freedom. And Marty's coming out. Thank you, Mark. Would you all stand with me, please? Thank you, girls. Great job. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Come over here. I would like to dedicate the women's ministry to the Lord, but let me say this first. So, you're going to go home. What's your take-home message from today? Take-home message is this. You can get better. I don't care who you are. Man, woman, child. You can get better. And lots of times, God uses women to help us because they're nurturers of life. And thank God for the ministry to women in our church that helps women do this and do it better and trains them in it. So I'd like to dedicate this ministry to the Lord and dedicate you you to the Lord right now. Would you bow with me in prayer? Lord, we need to believe what your word tells us, that we actually can get better. And lots of times we forget this, we get so discouraged, we can't believe this anymore. And we need a women's ministry in our church. We need women in our lives and and leading in this area in our church to help us be nurtured back to the truth that we can get better, nurture the life of God within us. And I pray for this women's ministry, that you will bless it, you will anoint it, you will use it to build strong women who are really the nurturers of this church and of your kingdom and of what you have planned for each one of our lives. Thank you for how you've provided. Thank you for Carol and Debbie and their leadership. And I pray for your blessing upon them and all the women that lead under them. Thank you for this time we've had, Lord. Help us believe you and trust you. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless. Have a great week.